feature presentation. This weird aberration society. Welcome to Mutual Aberration Society. I'm Ryan. Um, today's episode, I'm going to be talking about a movie uh, that I saw many years ago um, and I returned to because it crossed my mind like, hey, remember that movie that was really good back in like the early 2000s that came out uh, like straight to video? Um, I wonder if it still holds up. So uh, I went back and I rewatched it and was pleasantly surprised to find out that, yes, it does indeed still hold up. Uh, and what movie is that? You might be asking right now if you can't read the episode title, which tells you exactly what movie it is that I'm about to talk about. <laughs> that movie is uh, from 2005 and it is called The Prodigy. <laughs> Now, The Prodigy um, was directed uh, by William Kaufman. Um, and what stands out, well, a lot of things stand out uh, for me about The Prodigy. But specifically, uh, one of the reasons that this movie works so well, in my opinion, uh, is simply based on my own taste preferences, uh, which I guess all of the things that I talk about on MAS um meet that, you know, standard. <laughs> so, uh, it's a movie that's a crime movie that plays like a horror film. And for those who aren't familiar with my taste, um, which if you listen to this podcast regularly, I think it's not that hard to surmise what my taste kind of is, but for those who aren't, you know, aware of what my taste is, uh, I really like, uh, well, two of my favorite genres are the crime genre and the horror genre, um, both in film and, and in fiction. Like, I like to read crime fiction a lot. Uh, I like to read horror fiction a lot. Um, 
and the stuff that I write tends to, you know, merge those two things uh, together a lot. Uh, those are like, that's kind of like if, if I had to sort of say what is my aesthetic as an artist, uh, I would say if you had to pin me down, um, I'm not a big labels guy, but if you had to pin me down, I would say that would probably be the most accurate sort of way to describe sort of uh, my sensibilities, you know, are, which are like these sort of crime, you know, these horror adjacent, crime adjacent, sometimes one more than the other kind of stories uh, that I like to to tell. So obviously, um, when I come across a movie like The Prodigy, um, I'm going to be, you know, coming in uh, wanting to like it. I mean, I like to believe that every movie that I watch, I go in wanting to like it. Uh, and it's basically on the movie to sort of let me down. You know, I don't really tend to go into things wanting to dislike things. I feel like that's a sort of defeatist way of uh, consuming or uh, any sort of art or anything that you sort of engage with in an artistic way. I feel like that's a kind of, you know, I mean, there is pleasure that you can derive uh, in, in hate watching things or uh, hate consuming, hate reading, hate you know, observing, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever, you know, there, there is a sort of some sort of like a masochistic pleasure that one can get from engaging with art that way. I'm not going to pretend that that's not a thing or that that's not something I haven't done before in the past, but typically um, I don't go into stuff with that mindset or with that attitude. Um, and yes, I know for those who have good hearing, uh, my phone is buzzing constantly in the background, um, which is kind of annoying. Maybe I should silence my notifications. But uh, yeah, for, for first time listeners, welcome to MAS. It's just part of the uh, the aesthetic. It's part of the ambiance. <laughs> but yeah, so I'll do what I always do and uh, read the synopsis on Letterboxd for The Prodigy. Uh, and then uh, we'll, we'll get into the the nitty gritty of of the movie whoever came up with that term the nitty gritty i always think when i think about like the the, the phrase the nitty gritty um not to digress <laughs> uh, as i make a digression uh, i always think of like like uh, like nitty gritty like like sifting through like shit which again might be a peek into sort of my, uh, or gives you a peek inside of my head and my own sort of fucked up psychology of, of why I would think that. But, uh, yeah, anyways, here we go. Um, sometimes what you're looking for is looking for you. The prodigy tells a story of a small time enforcer, Truman Fisher's vicious conflict with a sadistic assassin who has chosen the unwilling Truman to be his successor. The assassin who goes by the alias Reigns and whose exploits have become the source of legend among Truman's underworld colleagues drives Truman through the pressure of constant violence and grief to understand his own capacity for both bloodshed and compassion. Ultimately, this reveals Truman, this reveals to Truman that he, as with all of us, must find our place in this world or, as Reigns would say, our place in this grand design. 
This action begins quickly as Truman meets with a turncoat from a rival gang. This tense showdown erupts quickly into mayhem when Reigns makes his unexpected entrance. In the wake of the ensuing bloodbath, Truman is forced to reevaluate his role in the small, violent world he inhabits. Suddenly aware that there are larger powers at work which he does not understand. Wow, that is not a... That's a treatment. <laughs> uh, that's a very... That, that synopsis kind of like says way too much. Um, I think it doesn't leave a lot to the imagination. Um, damn, I don't even need to talk about the episode now. It's over. That's it, guys. Wrap it up. No need to talk about it. No, um, we're going to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> as that uh, very uh, detailed synopsis uh tells us uh the prodigy is about um a care a guy named truman now truman um is actually played uh by holt boggs and holt boggs is actually uh a co-writer uh of the script uh he wrote it along with uh william kaufman and a third writer uh collaborated on this script uh and the interesting thing about this movie, before I get into sort of sort of more of the plot stuff, is just sort of like uh, some of the details about uh, its making. For one, uh, it's only it was shot for a small budget. Um, I think listening to the commentary uh, for the for the movie, uh, the director said that uh, they shot a teaser uh, to raise uh, the money, uh, to make this movie. Um, and ultimately, uh, the money came from, I think a single, a single guy who, uh, they sort of, he approached, he saw the teaser. Um, they, I guess they showed it to him. Um, and I guess they knew he had some money and Kaufman said like, you know, he, that, that he was like, yeah, I'm down how much you need. And they, he gave him a number, which to his words was way too low. Um, and, they said about, he was like, okay. And they said about to shoot it. Uh, now it was only shot with a 10 man crew. Um, and it was shot in Texas in and around Dallas on super 16, uh, millimeter. Uh, so yes, this is a movie that was shot on film. Um, but these details I like to, to so, sort of, uh, highlight because it only goes to show how much of a, an impressive, uh, feat it was to make a movie like the prodigy at the scale that they made it at and to have a movie that is as action oriented as the prodigy is um it's a lot of it's a lot of gunplay um a lot of fight choreography and it's legitimately good too it's like better than the stuff that you see now in like big budget a uh, hundred million dollar Hollywood films. Um, it's legitimately good, um, which is very uh, surprising. Because um, again, I was I've seen I seen this a long time ago, and I really liked it. But I was fully going in expecting this thing not to hold up. But what what they managed to do with this with this movie with this uh, you know little you know movie is is very is very impressive and kind of shows what you you can do. Um, they were able to do this back then imagine what you could do now with sort of the tools that are available it's much cheaper uh to make movies if you just have not only the drive to make one but also uh 
the patience and the motivation to do things right, to get to get the things to look right. Because I feel like uh, what what I tend to notice about independent movies that are made are the way that they sort of cut corners or rush uh, films across the finish line in a way that shows in the in the completed movie when you when when you when you get to sit down to watch a lot of these sort of smaller budget movies uh the seam show um which can be a charming element to a movie but realistically most times when the seams are showing um it's not and ultimately a lot of reasons for those kinds of things to be present in sort of lower budget movies are not just because they have a low budget, but also because the people making the movie just didn't try. You know what I'm saying? Like if no one's looking over your shoulder, right? If you don't have people giving you a lot of money and you don't have like the backing of some producer, you know, in the studio with executives looking over your shoulder, making sure that you're on time and on budget and doing things a certain way. Um, then you have time, like time. All you have is time at this point, right? Like, yeah, I guess there's still a ticking clock aspect to all sort of film productions, but when you're doing it yourself and you're doing it your way, um, I feel like why not slow down and make sure like the thing that you have on screen is the way you envisioned it. Like, you know what I mean? And, and, and if it's not, you know, take the time to make it so it is. I feel like most filmmakers doing things at this scale tend to be like, nah, fuck it. Let's just keep going as if it's a race. Um, and I get it, you know, um, time constraints, scheduling, people are probably doing this for the passion. You only have access to people for so long. But if you went out of your way to set all of this up, don't you want to think or don't you want to think? <laughs> Don't you think that you want to get it right? You know, like in the moment, it's like, fuck it. We, we were all the way out here. You know, we, we've said all this. We mounted a production. Right. Um, and like we're out here. We've got actors. We've got crew. Regardless of how small that crew is. Uh, let's try and get it right. I feel like. Uh, that's something that you just don't see a lot. Uh, nowadays, you know, Um that the prodigy clearly has. And like I said, I listened to the commentary, so I know like they took their time, you know, um, they were shooting certain scenes, you know, for weeks sometimes. Um, and it, and it shows, you know what I mean? And it shows, it, it shows cause this is a movie that could easily be cringe and stupid. Like, you know what I mean? And there's moments in the movie where you think it's going to be, but it, it ultimately doesn't never tips, or teeters over that line into into the cringe, even when it looks like it's about to. You're like, oh shit, look at this actor, look how this person looks, oh my god. And then, and even the moments where it's kind of like, yeah, you know, the, it, the the movie just manages to to sort of because it takes itself seriously. Uh, this is a deadly serious movie. It's not like oh like there's no it's not played for laughs. None of this movie's played for laughs. And and the movie wears its influences on its shoulders uh, because again, this movie is made in 2005. And it's clearly in, in Fincher, you know, um, 
is clearly an influence. Movies like Seven specifically are an influence on this movie. I would say Saw, which came out the year prior, is probably safe to say was an influence on this movie. Um, it has that sort of green, greenish, cold kind of cinematography that was very reminiscent of the early 2000s, um, post sort of, again, post Fincher, post The Matrix kind of shit. Uh, that you saw that became popularized. Um, but the director is doing a lot of things here. And actually, Kaufman has gone on to have an interesting sort of indie director uh, filmography. Um, you know, like he's made a lot of, you know, he's worked with some name actors at this point, you know, um, and sort of a lot of low budget action stuff. He's sort of gotten, you know, he's became that guy. Like, I think he did like a Jarhead 3, you know, um, and just, you know, movies, movies of, of, of a certain budget and tier. Uh, and it makes me really want to go back and watch some of these movies. Um, I'm not, a, I, I'm not going to assume that all of these are as, as, as dope as the prodigy. Uh, but one thing that I, that I, that you can establish or that, that is established, let me say, uh, by watching the prodigy is that Kaufman is a director who, has some chops and has an eye, you know what I'm saying? You could see a lot of the influences. It gets some Michael Mann influences in here, some Manhunter influences. Um, but yeah, this movie is just, just a, uh, this is in the, this is the cool, this is the type of independent cinema that like, uh, aims high, right? Like they're not like trying to, you know, you know, I say this, this, it's funny because a lot of times I'll say, uh, you know, movies that are, made outside the system right uh i kind of don't like a lot of them for the simple fact that like oh you guys are like trying to audition for hollywood and i feel like the prodigy is you can't say that it's not but you get the sense watching the movie that the even if that may be the ultimate uh intent of the people making the movie um i feel like the most important uh, intention behind them making this movie was they just wanted to make a good movie um, and a good movie at a certain scale you know a good movie that's sort of entertaining that you could go watch in a movie theater and you could tell that that was the priority I feel like a lot of times people making these sort of audition movies you know these auditioning for the industry movies uh, the fo you know you can see that like the movie is like sort of like second or even third on the list of priorities for them. This is more like, listen, this is all to set me up to sort of signal to the people in, in the industry that, Hey, pick me, you know, pick me out of a crowd. And those movies, they're, they're terrible. They're awful to watch. And, and the majority of them, we, we watch them all the time. You know what I mean? So the prodigy doesn't fall victim to, to any of those things. Um, also another thing, uh, I, the, I did hear Kaufman say that the, the production designer's budget was only a thousand dollars, and watching this movie um, again—that's an impressive feat. Uh, that you know, again, that shows you again. I, I don't know the actual specific numbers of what the budget was for this movie, but if the production designer's budget is only a thousand dollars, you can say it's safe to assume that you're not—they're not working with a lot. You know, they're—they're they're making this movie. It's not, this isn't even a hundred grand, you know what I'm saying, that they're working with. They're probably working with significantly less than that, which is, again, if you told me that, if you told me that going in blind, I wouldn't think that. Um, 
And maybe I could be off. Maybe they did have 100K. Maybe they had a little more than that. But I would, you know, I mean, they did shoot it on Super 16. Um, yeah, I don't really know. But this isn't a million dollar movie by no by no shape. Uh, so, uh, yeah, like enough about sort of how impressed I am by what they were able to pull off. Uh, I can get a little bit more into talking about as I bump my mic. Um as usual, I can get a little bit more into talking about the movie, um, because I do think that, uh, it just, it's just a very fucking cool ass movie, so the movie, uh, sort of opens with a very memorable sort of, uh, I like to say standoff, like at first we see like a bank of TV monitors, um, and we do, we see, uh, Truman, who's our star, uh, on, uh, like one of the monitors and, uh, a little boy on another one of the monitors. And it's like footage of this young boy. He's like in like child protective services and they're asking him, you know, some questions and he's like answering. And while this is playing on the, on this, uh, television bank, uh, we, uh, see a man in a hood working on some sort of device it looks like he's like a he's like putting maybe it's a camera in a smoke detector but uh as he's doing this he stops and looks up at the child uh who's giving this interview and um the man in the hoodie uh starts to replay the video of the young boy um because the social worker um is talking to him and asking him about a kid that he uh hurt in some way um and she asked how does it make him feel and his answer is it doesn't and he looks at her like very stone-faced very cold and he, and the the man looks up from and starts to replay the video of the kid saying it doesn't over and over and over again um and it's clear that this is a young Truman. Um, I think it's I think it's obvious to me that this is a young Truman just for the fact that they show Truman as an adult above him on one monitor, like as you know. And it's just again, it's just this opening image setting up which with the uh, sort of spoiler esque uh, synopsis that's on Letterboxd is because he's just it's juxtaposing you know the young Truman um, with the older Truman. And sort of setting up this idea of this guy who who we come to find out is Reigns. Um, and we'll get into sort of that, uh, who Reigns is a little bit more. Um, but this is the opening. And the opening is very, again, sort of Seven inspired again. Um, just a series of, and, 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 and again, Saul. But again, I feel like Saul was inspired by Seven. You know, that, that sort of, you know, uh, intro that's just flashes of random moments and scenes of, up close-ups and uh just you know blood splatter and uh the the sort of uh the titles that are that are they look the title font is like again flickering and like that sort of kind of font that has been that was popularized by you know Fincher's what Fincher did with that opening sequence that notorious opening sequence in seven right um but yeah it has a very and, and in that way I mean honestly uh the opening isn't isn't that amazing, you know, um, but it, it doesn't really, what I like about it is it's, it's economy. Cause it really like, it, it does it 
gets it over with, and then it jumps right into the story. We jump right in, and we see uh, we see Truman sitting. It's raining again. Another element that's you know cribbed from seven. <laughs> it's wet. It's dark. Uh, he's sitting in a car. It's raining like fucking uh, Vietnam. You know, <laughs> uh, outside, and he's sitting in uh, in a parked car uh, with his. Uh, his associate his his homeboy <laughs> um and they're they're looking at this hotel building and they're having this conversation about having to go inside um and uh what we what we discover uh, is that what's going down right now is some sort of uh drug deal right um that that they're trying to to go down and we're not quite sure if they're cops we're not quite sure, but it makes it, it's an intentional fake out uh, uh, in this movie. It, it wants us to think that they could possibly be cops, you know, trying to do some sort of stakeout bust or some sort of, you know. Um, and and basically Truman's complaining about uh, another guy going inside um, with him because he, he doesn't want him to go inside for, for whatever reason. And when he gets out the car and uh, he sees the guy sort of waiting there, it's him and another another guy. Um, he has a little brief argument but the guy's clearly like you know the the boss their boss uh wants him to come along so truman says says, fuck it and the three of them enter this hotel um which again a a big significant majority of this movie um is shot in this hotel location um i think the hotel was is named the denison i think uh and it's in like again this dallas area or somewhere around that area um, and it's a very, it's a very, uh, cool lo- looking location. Definitely an older hotel definitely has a lot of, uh, production value, um, that it gives. And as they sort of go in and they're walking through the lobby, then we see uh, a man in the rain, uh, in a long black, uh, trench coat, um, with, in, a, in a mask walking across a rooftop in the rain. Um, and then it cuts to Truman, in the elevator with the two guys and again they're arguing some more and he's trying to lay it out to the younger guy like yo you just like fall back like you just don't do shit unless i tell you to do it you know some really tropey kind of like you know this this is the type of moment that you see uh in crime films you know when some shit's about to go down you know like a, a heist is about to go down which this is and it's again it juxtaposes with the guy outside again who is rains we are, it's funny that we're introduced to Reigns in the rain, uh, but uh, he, Reigns is like coming down of the fire escape of the, of this hotel, and again, uh, Truman and his boys come off the elevator, uh, and they go up to this room, this ballroom style room, inside. they knock on the, the door, uh, and they're let in, and then we're sort of introduced to uh, a room full of criminals um and literally there's a guy uh on the phone who sort of puts his hand up you know to signal to reigns to wait just a second um and this guy stands up and he has what's funny about this guy there's a lot of things funny about this guy but this funniest thing i think about this dude is he has a fucking a button-up long sleeve shirt that's just a bunch of hundred dollar bills it is it is it is actually kind of perfect it's as funny as that that outfit choice is and that wardrobe choice is it's actually kind of works uh because this is you believe like this is the type of stupid motherfucker who would wear some shit like that uh especially in early 2000s um but yeah there's just a bunch of guys sitting around in this room um 
and he invites Truman over to sit down so they can like chop it up. Now Truman has a briefcase with him, you know, um, and inside the briefcase, we're assuming uh, it's some money because I think he's trying to buy some drugs. Um, and there's a whole a whole drug buy scene is sort of playing itself out um, at this moment. Like literally, like the geography, the scene geography of the room is established. We see like men in the corners, and again, it's a lot of people. And then it cuts to a uh, a girl, just a random girl who's in the room, and she's like walking out of the room, and she's in nothing but like a t-shirt, like a button-up t-shirt. Um, and she goes into the bathroom, um, and as she goes into the bathroom, uh, the scene continues to play out, you know, out out in the in the ballroom sort of area, and. Uh, the drug deal's going down, you know, um, it's, it's, it's played for tension, you know what I'm saying, the, the, clearly, like, the guys that Truman is talking to, like, some, you know, the, they're, you know, it's a drug deal, I mean, I don't necessarily expect that it wouldn't be tense and sort of uh, a lot of mistrust, because, like, there's, like, a literally, looks like kilos of coke in a briefcase laid out on, on, on a table, and then the, the guy who he, who, Truman gives the briefcase to it's like reaches his hand in and is look checking the money literally takes the money out and throws it some of it on top of the of, on top of the drugs on the table and then this Truman is telling him this story about some issue that he had with another guy again very kind of like I don't know, reminiscent of the scene in Reservoir Dogs where like the cop is telling uh, Mr. Orange is telling this the story about what happened to him in, in, in the bathroom with the cops for those who don't know. Again, it's very sort of the whole point of the scene, really, the whole point of him talking is sort of to, to sort of establish uh, the tension that's in the room, but also like to get the sense of like uh, as, as viewers to give us the sense like, OK, like are these guys cops? Are these guys not? like what what's going down and you know something's about to go down and you know that like Truman is pretty much talking to sort of fill the fill the silence and to sort of like almost lull these guys into a sense of comfortable uh comfortableness right now why this is happening the girl is starts uh she's in the bathroom and it's cutting back and forth like I've already said it's cutting back and forth between the girl in the bathroom and and the dr the drug the drug deal going down and she's we see her uh, looking in the mirror and then from behind uh, the man in the, the mask and the trench coat and goggles grabs who is Reigns, our, our villain of this movie, the, the fucking psychopath hitman killer guy, the boogeyman, um, grabs her by the fucking hair and slams her head into the sink and then proceeds to sort of like brutalize this woman in, in brutal fashion, right? And, and, and while this is happening, no one is aware out front and because you know they're too consumed with this whole like drug deal um and then at a certain moment like uh guns get pulled um and it becomes a standoff kind of situation as this woman is pretty much been killed like by by uh by this hitman uh figure reigns um in the bathroom and reigns is literally has a handheld uh monitor where he can check some cameras that he's I guess has uh, put in this th throughout this hotel. So he's literally can see what's going on. And literally it's a, it's a Mexican standoff kind of deal. Everyone's waving guns everywhere. No one trusts anybody. Um, and at, at this moment um, they, they pull out, they say they're cops they, and they pull out little uh, badges around their necks. 
right? And and you're like, oh shit, they're, they're, this is a bust, right? But like, you get the sense that the criminals, the two main ones specifically, don't aren't really believing this shit. They're like, wait a minute, you you guys like, what's going on here? You're and the, the guy in the money shirt is like, you're not a cop. And at this at this moment when he says that, he kind of Truman looks at him and looks him in the eye and he says, you know what, you're right. And the guys just pull off their fake badges and throw them on the ground because this whole thing is. They were gonna like this pretend they're cops so they can pull off this robbery because these guys, uh, they they're criminals. They they're 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 sort of enforcers and they and they, you know, um, it's they work for, they work for someone um who's pretty much like a, not a mob boss but you know a, some kind of underworld type. You know, you get the sense because none of these guys are like it's not like these guys are all Italian and no shit like that. Uh, but you know, this is some sort of criminal underworld. Uh. It, uh, enterprise, if you want to call it that, right? Um, again, this is very crime tropey, right? But as this whole thing is going down, you're like, oh shit, he called the, the, uh, the, the drug dealer called their bluff. Like you're not cops. You're like, what the fuck's about to happen? There's a moment where the music starts to turn down and everyone looks over, um, at the, the old school sort of, uh, radio like amplifier. And like, they, as they look over, you see the amp, the, the the dial turning down by itself like automatically as if someone which reigns the 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 bad guy um the hitman has i guess some sort of remote that can turn off that can literally lower the volume because everyone looks over and we watch the it's a cool moment the way it's shot even the way it sort of like creeps in as like uh Truman turns his head and it's like it does a slow creep and then it does a slow creep on the volume dial as it's turning down and the whole room's attention is caught by the volume being turned down suddenly that they're sort of like not all like just focusing on each other holding guns on each other and that's when the doors kicked open and out of the bathroom pops reigns in a fucking with a I think he had like an MP5. It's a fucking machine gun. And he's just mowing down people left and right. So everyone's diving, you know, diving for cover. Uh, he's got, he's got the laser sight on. He's got the, uh, the, the, the night vision goggles. Cause he cuts the lights out. Um, and he's just like emptying clips and, and changing them out and just going about in a methodical fashion, like a fucking, you know, a machine. And it's a pretty, again, like I've already said this already, but like the action scenes in this are impressive. Like they, they hold up and this is like right at that early 2000s sweet spot where you didn't get a lot of uh digital muzzle flash. Like they definitely, maybe there might be some in there, but it's like maybe the kind that's composited um, in post that looks kind of cool. Like maybe, but I think for the most part, they're probably using blanks. It's pretty, it's pretty clear that they're using blanks. They're definitely using squibs. Uh, you're definitely seeing like squib hits, not only on, you know, bodies, but also just squib hits on walls. Uh, it, it, it's very tactile. Like you don't think like, oh, this is a video game or this is like, this is, this is my issues with like John Wick, um, which I kind of describe this movie as like, what if John Doe, uh, from seven was played by John Wick? Like, you know, that, that's kind of like, uh, that's kind of like who Reigns is, right? Like he's this fucking psychopath that's a a trained hitman that just fucking will kill people. Like people don't even know who he is. Um, but yeah. Uh, and, and you know what, this whole scene as this whole scene, it's definitely a memorable shootout. It's definitely a memorable opening. Um, and I don't need to sort of dwell on it too much other than to tell you that like pretty much everyone in the scene dies, except 
for Truman, who's our hero, uh, which ultimately ends in Truman having a fight with Reigns, a one-on-one fight with Reigns. Um, and this is their first sort of encounter, right? Um, but before I even like go too much into sort of their 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 face-off and their first sort of like introduction with each other in this opening, um, I want to talk a little bit about Reigns himself um, because the character is named uh, Reigns, as in Claude Reigns, um, like the, in- the Invisible Man. And this is explained... Um, in the movie. Um, but I'm just going to go ahead and talk about it now. Cause why not? Cause I read that letterbox synopsis was, which pretty much says all kinds of things before I even started to talk about the movie. Um, but Claude Rains was the star, was the actor who starred as the invisible man, um, the 1933 version of invisible man. Um, and this hitman character is like a legendary hitman and he's called the invisible man. Because no one knows what his, they don't know his identity. No one knows his face. He's one of those guys that you hire um, who will come in and murder anyone that you need him to um, and do it in a very Terminator-like fashion, killing everyone um, and leaving, leaving and just disappearing. Like, and no one, again, no one knows what he looks like. He's the invisible man. Um, and he goes by uh, Claude Rains, um, which we f- we find out when he he gives a note uh, a little bit later in the movie. Oh, not that for not 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 much further into the movie after this opening, right? Um, he 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 leaves a note, and we don't even know yet um, that the note is. We get. I mean, we. Pro- I, I knew. I I feel like the audience kind of gets it too. But whatever. Maybe you're not supposed to know, but. He leaves a note for Truman's boss, but it's not really for Truman's boss. It's for Truman, right? This whole thing is for Truman, um, but it's signed Claude Rains, and that name is known around the underworld uh, as we discover that this guy, this guy Claude Rains, he's the Invisible Man, um, and also like the way that he he looks is a direct reference to the 1933 Invisible Man. He has a long black trench coat, the mask, the goggles. He has, again, it's a very cool looking, um, like costume that, 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 that Reigns wears, but it's literally directly, uh, a reference to, to the Invisible Man. Um, but yeah, anyways, uh, this is very, this is a non-linear podcast. I'm going to go all over the place. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> uh, back on to the showdown, the showdown with, uh, with Reigns and, uh, and Truman, uh. And it basically ends in a hand-to-hand fight. Like, like uh, the, it, it starts with the guns, right? And then it goes to hand-to-hand. And then Reigns ends up pulling out a knife. Uh, and it's like this close quarters fight in this bathroom. But it ultimately results in um, Truman getting the best of Reigns and think in drowning him in a bathtub and leaving him for dead, right? But what we, you know, obviously he's not dead. But uh, we know that even though uh, Truman doesn't know that. Like, we know this is, there's no way this is over at this point, right? But Reigns ends up leaving, um, walking out of the, uh, you know... Well, actually, the funny part is his friend in the car uh, in the very beginning, uh, in the opening, I should say, uh, who's been in waiting in the car, because I guess he's supposed to be the guy who drives away, um, he has a... Um, he has a... Uh, uh, we, what we think initially, again, when we think when it when it's trying to do the fake out of thinking they're police, what we think is, oh, he's got the walkie-talkie in the car, 
because he's a cop. But no, it's just a police monitor. And the guy's listening to his music so loud that he can't hear that the police are saying that were, there were shots fired in a hotel. But when he finally turns the music down, he does hear it. He's like, oh, shit, what's going on in the fucking hotel? Um, and like I said, Truman and Reigns have the showdown and Truman thinks he kills him. And he's like walking to leave. And that's when as on his way out of the hotel, that's when his uh, his boy walks in and sees him. He's like, Yo, what the fuck happened? You know what I mean? And, and then it cuts to a month, one month later um, after this scene. Um, because again, uh, this fight, again, this fight is very impressive. It's hand to hand. It's a lot of hand to hand combat. It's a pretty brutal fight. And, and Truman really does get fucked up. Um, and what we, what we, what is kind of implied and what you, if you're watching it and really paying attention is that Reigns is sort of kind of does, you, you know, that Reigns doesn't want to kill him because at every, when you really rewatch the movie and even when you watch it on a first, uh, first watch through, you can tell like, Oh, like Reigns is playing with Truman. Like Reigns has an interest in him. Um, and he's playing with Truman. He doesn't really want to kill Truman. But he does want to engage with Truman. He wants to push Truman. He wants to fight Truman. So the moments where like Reigns is uh, not killed by by or not or the moments when Truman is not killed by Reigns, uh, you really do get the sense like, oh, this is like very intentional. Like he's he's letting him live for some reason, right? Um, and then, like I said, it flashes to a month later, um, and we see Reigns in bed, and we're introduced uh, to his girlfriend who plays a very uh, important role uh, in, in terms of sort of establishing, I don't know, uh, Rain's humanity in, as a character, but also uh, to sort of set up some of the things that are going to happen later in the movie that are going to have a lot of, uh, let's just say, emotional impact. And uh, this movie is free on YouTube, by the way, and I will post a link. There's a link to this movie in the show notes i wasn't sure it was on youtube and i checked and it is so if you don't want to know uh what happened even though if you listen to me read the letterbox synopsis it says pretty much the whole damn movie it doesn't reveal some of the kind of surprises though for sure so if you don't want to know any of the surprises pause this podcast right now click that link watch this movie enjoy it um and then come back and listen to this, but we're, we're introduced to his girlfriend, uh, she's very, played by a, um, uh, I don't know this, I've never seen this actress in anything else, um, which again, this is a very small indie movie, so most of these actors, you don't, you haven't, I haven't seen in other things, but even, even with that said, they, the acting is pretty, pretty good for the most part, like, it's a pretty, pretty good performances, obviously, uh, Holt is, uh, all right, the guy who plays Truman, uh, he's carrying, uh, the movie, and he's pretty, he's pretty good, like, he, he delivers a good performance, I mean, both, both, uh, emotionally and physically, in terms of the physicality he has to do, because he does a lot of fighting, and he's supposed to be, like, an ex-boxer, again, I know this, it doesn't explicitly say this, but I know this, because I listened to the filmmaker commentary, so I know he's supposed to be a boxer, um, but yeah, we meet this, uh, girlfriend character of his, uh, that's, that is, uh, again, I don't know this, I think the actress is named Morelli Taylor, and I believe uh, the character that she plays is called Nikki. Um, and I think uh, you know this is another actor or actress that's you've probably seen in other things, a lot of like TV shows and stuff. Uh, I think I think uh, 
she was on Lost as Isabella. I've never, you know, I'm one of those people that never really watched Lost. So like for for my for the Lost heads out there, apparently she was in that. Um, but she's really good. Like she's really good in this as just sort of this kind of very. Uh, they have a very loving sort of uh, dynamic, and 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 the actors kind of have some chemistry a little bit, you know. And we we see them sort of wake up in bed, and and she's like talking to him and he's sort of zoning out and she's wanting to make him breakfast and she shows him this painting that she's made that she's hung on the wall and she's trying to tell him about like this painting and like it's clear that like she's super interested in trying to reveal some like things to him about like or just not even like reveal some things just have a fucking you know a connection with her with her with her boyfriend or partner or whatever right but it's clearly like Reigns' mind is somewhere else. But again, you got to remember, this is only a month later after this sort of traumatic uh, scene where like a lot of his friends, his, co- his co-workers at least, got killed in front of him. And he managed to barely survive, uh, you know, this massacre that took place, you know, that's taken place. But, you know, the, the scene sort of of them on the couch and her showing him this painting she made ends with them making out um, and like... A love scene that they don't actually show they only imply as like he sort of like kisses her and they like fall down onto the couch uh or like lay down lay back on the couch um and then it cuts to him in a muscle car uh pulling up to some outside some bar in a downtown area now the town is never named where they're at i mean obviously i know that they shot this in texas but and even his license plate is a texas license plate but it's sort of a town that like it is intentionally not specified um and i know that like the uh that uh the director wanted this movie to feel like a graphic novel and it does they're actually successful in that because it does kind of feel like a graphic novel it has a serious tone um for sure it never it never once there's no humor in this movie really you know i mean there are moments i would say there are moments where they attempt it where it's more like a banter between some of the the sort of low-level you know uh henchmen because, I mean, that's what that's what that's what Truman is. He's a henchman. He's a enforcer henchman um, for this, you know, crew, this and, and all of his his co- his co-workers, you know, like they're all like henchmen too, outside of the boss guy. So um, and they all like wear these like leather jackets and shit. Um, and another intentional aspect to this movie is like the, the mixture of like high tech and low tech shit where like they have, you know, like this is the early 2000s. So this is like you don't see any smartphones. They have regular cell phones, but then they have shit that's like even more low tech than a cell phone. Like, and it's kind of in that way, it kind of exists in this weird sort of, uh, other reality. Like I said, that graphic novel kind of, uh, deal is what is what is what they're going for. And, and they do, they do achieve it. Right. But yeah, so he comes back to this bar. Um, and it's been, it's clear like the, all the guys that are there, the other henchmen dudes, are like happy to see that he's back and they're like asking him how he's how he is and you can tell though that like Truman is like tired of this shit he's changed he's changed after this right but anyway um so Truman is back right and he's greeted by Pat Pat that's the name of uh the guy in the beginning that we see with Truman in the car who waits in the car and then comes back in after like everyone is dead but Truman and Truman's you know as thought he's killed Reigns and it's his name is Pat and uh Pat and Truman are like they're friends you get the sense that they actually legitimately care about each other um 
at least when it comes to sort of the world that they're in and all of these, you know, uh, henchmen co-workers that they work for, uh, that they work with. And uh, they work for this guy, Jimmy. That's the name of their boss, Jimmy, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Costello, I think is his name. But yeah, so Pat greets him um, and the rest of the of the like, henchmen guys greet him. Um, and then they have to go downstairs to talk to Jimmy um, in, a, in a, like a basement bar. And Jimmy's down there and Jimmy says hello to all of the guys. He says, what's what's going on, Pat? Then he, you know, looks at uh, Truman and he asks Truman how he's how is he? You know, is it did the doctor say it's OK for you to be back? Even he kind of makes the lighthearted kind of joke, you know, with him. Because, like I said, it's been a month, right? It's been a month since this whole incident went down uh, at that hotel. Um, but the reason that Jimmy has gathered all his men down there is because he has to show them something. Um, and it's a VHS tape that he pulls out. And he puts the tape in the VCR. And on screen, we see footage of a hallway. Um, and then a man walks into the frame uh, his face is covered. He's got a hood over his head and he's carrying a bat in a uh, 45 and he walks down the hallway, comes up to a door and knocks on the door. We hear commotion coming from the other side of the door. Someone answers the door and he immediately executes them with the with the gun, walks inside the room. And then all we hear is the sounds of a brutal massacre. Um, and it's a pretty effective like scene the way they choose to let it let it play out because like I said it's all audio we don't see what he's doing we only hear what he's doing but then you also see uh close-ups of the faces of the you know Jimmy and his men and just in Truman and like the faces as they listen to sort of what's happening and then you know once the tape we think that the tape is over uh or no, we don't. What happens is we hear some people getting massacred. Um, then we see a guy attempt to crawl out of the doorway and he's pulled back in the doorway. Um, and then we see the man step out who we all know is Reigns. Truman doesn't know it's Reigns and Jimmy and his men don't know it's Reigns, but we know this is Reigns, right? But they don't. But we see Reigns walk out um, dragging that same man now by the arms. And then he looks over at the camera, which he set up down the hallway, and he lifts a controller and hits a button and it cuts off the camera. And it goes to static and everyone is just standing there, um, sort of soaking in what they've just witnessed. And then Jimmy sort of lays it out for everyone. Like the guy who uh, Reigns has drug out in the in on the tape, that is Jimmy's nephew. Um, and those people that were killed, they all were... You know, they worked for Jimmy. They were somehow tied to Jimmy in some way. Um, but everyone was dead but his nephew. Um, his nephew's been kidnapped. Um, and Jimmy's pissed. I mean, as you would be, right? Um, and he's he wants, you know, he's telling his men, we need to find my nephew. Um, my sister, I think he says his sister's freaking out. Um, and uh, we need to find out, like, what it is I did to somebody uh, that would have them, you know, come after me and, you know, murder my, murder my people and, you know, kidnap my nephew. That's what his assumption is. You know, he's, he's in the underworld. He's a crime guy. So he's figuring it's must be some kind of vendetta, but it really isn't. He has no idea what's going on. None of them do. Um, this is not about Jimmy. Uh, this is about Truman and this is about Reigns 
and Truman's not even aware it's about him yet. Um, but we will find that out as the story progresses. Um, so they're sent basically by uh, Jimmy on this mission. Uh, I think uh, Truman and Pat go together, you know, and some of the other men, you know, they break off into groups to go around town and start, you know, you know, lifting up rocks and uh, seeing, you know, who they can find, you know, <laughs> you know, and see, see if anyone knows anything, anyone knows where uh, Jimmy's nephew is at, um, which is preceded by, you know, some scenes of, uh, I think it's a uh, Pat and uh, Truman, uh, like, you know, rouse this one guy specifically um, for information, even though he doesn't have it. But I'm getting ahead of myself because before that even happens, um, once Jimmy's said like this is sends this guys out to go find out what they can find out it actually goes to jimmy's nephew uh in reigns um and reigns is taking jimmy's nephew into some dark dank boiler room and he's like got uh, an eye patch on and this is a detail i didn't mention uh that jimmy does mention he says that his nephew was gone everyone was dead when the only thing that was left was a note and uh, an eyeball, his nephew's eyeball on the coffee table. Um, and I was getting ahead of myself because I didn't say, I didn't talk about the note. So after the video stops that Jimmy's played for his men, he gives Pat a note that uh, Reigns has left behind. And the note is a cryptic one. It, it says, in life, there will be times you will stumble, you will fall. In the perils of robbers, in the perils of false brethren, in the perils of your own design. Yet have faith through these perils that the truth will shine. So yeah, that's, that's literally like what the note says. And it's not even a note to Jimmy. Jimmy doesn't know that. It's a note to Truman. And Truman doesn't know it. Um, and in fact, once Pat finishes reading that, Jimmy's like, what the fuck does that even mean? Right. And so, again, like they send they send them on their way um, or Jimmy sends them on their way to go find out, like, who the fuck this is, where the fuck the nephew is. And then it cuts to the nephew. We see where the nephew is. Uh, he is literally uh, with Reigns. Reigns has him in this, like I said, like a boiler room. He's in like a, a wheelchair with an eye patch. He like takes uh, his legs and like connects some like basically some manacles to them like by a chain that's hooked to this giant steel boiler. And then uh, as the nephew sort of like pleads, you know, like trying to like tell him anything to get out of there, uh, we see that Reigns goes over and he grabs uh, a bat and uh, he basically takes the bat and swings it at uh, his nephew's legs over and over again repeatedly. Um, and then it cuts to uh, a sort of a brief scene, a, a brief character moment after that directly uh, with, it's kind of like the only moment we kind of see like this. If there was going to be any moment of levity, it's at this moment. It's at this point, because this movie, like I said, is already, it's played pretty much straight and dead serious, right? Um, but there's a moment directly after that scene um, where we see Truman with Pat and two other henchmen and they're at, at a bar 
uh, and they're drinking and they, it gets into this like philosophical pseudo philosophical question about these meatheads talking about like uh, one of them an irish one a very irish guy he literally has an accent um talking about how he th he's thinking about becoming muslim and then pat makes this joke about like you know what would his mother back in ireland think about that and again it's 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 a it's like it's 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 crime film banter you know it's definitely uh post tarantino crime film banter but it doesn't really um ever overstay its welcome and in fact i think it actually works in this context it usually is annoying to see this in these kind of movies uh but it doesn't actually because what it does is it provides just enough character to make pat and truman seem more human and also those henchmen that like you know even the brief moment that we the brief interaction that we have with these two other henchmen that are with them um it just gives a sense of humanity to uh, a movie that's very bleak um so yeah that was a good choice for them to sort of insert insert that moment into the movie um because after that like i mean outside of any interaction that uh you know uh truman has with you know his girlfriend I think what was her name Nikki I believe right um those are like the only moments of like tenderness I think um because immediately after that we see uh Truman and Pat basically go find this guy who they think might possibly know where the nephew is and it's just some sort of greaseball guy um and basically we watch Pat beat the shit out of him and sort of Truman just lay back and sort of watch and you can just see like He's like, let's just leave. But he knows what's about to happen, more or less. And we get to really get to see sort of like, I mentioned that Pat's sort of like a sociopath and very violent guy, even though he's like very likable. And this is the moment where you really get to see that when he like beats the shit out of this guy, even though he knows that this guy doesn't know the information, doesn't know where uh, Jimmy's nephew is. But he does it anyways, because it's like, it's what they do. And that's even what he justifies uh, his actions to true to Truman when he questions him like why he did it he's like you know this is what we do like what what guys know, the guys like him know what we do what are we what are we not going to do that when we when we want some information it doesn't matter if he doesn't know or not um and the funny thing about it is uh I think the guy who plays him is like the, the guy who I mean people on this movie like I said it was a 10 man crew so you know people wear wore multiple hats on this on this production right and I think the guy is the actual editor and I think he's the camera operator too because again, I think he, he's on the commentary with, with the director. Um, but yeah, um, so yeah, he beats them. He beats his shit out this guy. Um, and it's funny because the guy already has like a cast on his on his one of his uh, arms. So you already get the sense that like this is something that happens to this guy regularly or whatever. You know, he's always getting beat the fuck up, and he's people. You know, this it's just we all know those guys right in life. Like they're always into some shit. They're always, you know, he's one of those right. Um, but yeah, that after that scene sort of sets, you know, sets up some more of sort of the kind of interactions that uh, Truman has been used to having doing the job that he does, you know, as this sort of enforcer type, right? Then we meet uh, a character who's uh, sort of like this, a woman who's kind of like a, for lack of a better word, like a hacker, um, uh, and... She's like a a, 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 a a post as I stutter like fucking uh, Porky Pig. No, um, 
Yeah, uh, she's supposed to be like an agoraphobic, and her character's name is Ash, and she's played by uh, Diana Lee uh, Inosanto, who is apparently Bruce Lee's goddaughter. Interesting factoid, right? Uh, you know, um, very random. But uh, yeah, uh, Truman goes to see her um, in her cool-looking lair um, that... Uh, Pat has no, doesn't want to go in at all. He's like, I'm not going in to see this crazy, this crazy bitch. There's some sort of implied, like, dislike. It's not even implied. It's overt. Like, they don't like each other. So Pat, Pat stays in the car. Um, Truman goes to see Ash. And he's, this is, he's wanting to find out um, some information. Because, you know, obviously they're out there. They're looking for, uh, for uh, Jimmy's nephew. And I guess, Ash is, is, you know, she's like a early 2000s era hacker. And I guess she just knows how she's the, she's, she's like one of those characters you go to in crime movies when you need information, when you need exposition, uh, <laughs> given to you. Uh, she's one of the characters, right? Um, but yeah, uh, we, this scene and this moment, I'm trying to remember exactly how this movement plays out, uh, are his intention for even going to see her initially, I do rem I do know that uh while while uh Truman is visiting Ash it goes back to Jimmy's nephew um in that boiler room and he's like we see his his wrist is cuffed but he's like pulling his hand out of the out of the cuff and it's like you can tell like he's literally hurting himself like probably dislocating his thumb to pull himself out of the cuff but he manages to get himself out of the cuff and he's like crawling across this dirty concrete floor in his boiler room and we don't know i mean we do know kind of like he just had his legs beat so he's not going to stand right um but it, it it sort of reveals that to us like with no context because then it immediately goes right back to uh truman talking with ash and truman is asking ash if she's ever heard of claude rains because you remember the note that was left. I did. Did I even mention that it was signed? I don't even think I did. I just, I just repeated what the note said, but the note was signed, uh, from Claude Rains. So Truman's whole reason for going to see Ash is to find out some information about Claude Rains. And this is the first time where we get sort of the explanation of this figure because Ash knows she's heard of Claude Rains. And then she talks about like, Claude Rains, the actor, and the Invisible Man, and this hitman that they call the Invisible Man, who goes by Claude Rains, is this, like, again, this this mythical, you know, underworld figure. And she sort of explains to him who he is, right? And that, like, people don't think he's real. Um, and that's the first time that we were introduced to to sort of the the, the mythos of, of, of Rains, right? Um, and and it's, it's explained by the by ash to truman you know the 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 sort of who 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 the fuck who the fuck reigns is um and like i said i know this i'm about an hour in and i promise i will not go uh too much longer in a in a beat by beat uh fashion i will try and sum up the rest of this movie um because i don't need to talk about it as much you know the movie speaks for itself right that's what that's what good art does, you know, uh, or interesting art, good or bad, kind of speaks for itself, right? And and I'm not here to 
to uh, completely, <laughs> I know I say this all the time when I say this every episode, I'm not here to completely lay out a movie from beginning to end, even though I tend to pretty much do that. Um, and uh, movie book report style, as some, some people who don't like uh, this podcast apparently <laughs> might describe it as, um, but you know, fuck those people. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, so Ash explains uh, to Truman who Claude Rains is, and uh, then she asks, uh, like, why do you want to know about this, um, or whatever, and that's when Truman reveals that, like, this guy paid us a visit, you know, last night, and, you know, killed a bunch of Jimmy's men, and kidnapped his nephew, and upon hearing this, uh, Ash's whole demeanor changes, she becomes, like, serious, like, wait a minute, what, you know, um, and you can tell, like, she's now, she's kind of shook by, like, the fact that, like, wait a minute, it's, it's rains for real, and, like, you know, um, before she could, like, get into anything else about it, or, or, or sort of, you know, um, have any more questions answered, uh, Truman's like, listen, I don't got time, just, see what you can come up with about this Reigns guy. And like, if you find anything, you know, call me, let me know, you know, and then, and he bounces. And again, like that establishes that. Then, uh, he actually goes to talk to, uh, Truman does, he goes to talk to a, f a friend of his that he knows named Mike. And, uh, he goes to a restaurant and he, we meet Mike. Mike is this, uh, light skinned, kind of stocky bald black guy um and he's playing himself in chess like literally he's like sitting there when Truman comes in and he's playing like the white side of the board then spinning the board around and then playing the black side of the board the black pieces and the white pieces and Truman uh sits down to have a conversation with Mike uh to find out about Reigns uh and then it goes back to the boiler room again where we see uh, the nephew who's still crawling through through the boiler room, um, trying to escape. He's like crawling up steps and shit, right? Um, as as it's sort of again it, between these and these sort of information scenes where where Truman is out on the street interacting with different people, trying to find information is is intercut with the scenes of the nephew trying to escape this you know dungeon that Reigns has put him in, but yeah, uh, Truman sits down with Mike, and long story short, uh, we discover through their talking that Mike knows who Reigns is, and he survived an interaction with Reigns, an interaction is putting it nicely, like, Reigns, apparently, um, Mike had a crew with, a with like, two other guys, who sort of were encroaching on mob territory up north, his words. And so the mob hired Reigns to, you know, to take these guys out, right? Because they were pushing in on their turf. And basically, Mike was the only guy who survived. And he said the only way he survived was because he, he said he fell out of a window. Um, but again, the moment that he hears Reigns, his whole demeanor switches up. And he, much like the way Ash's demeanor switches up, because again, this guy's like the fucking boogeyman, right? Again, he's, he's fucking John Doe from Seven, but John Wick, you know? So he's the fucking boogeyman, right? Um, and then ultimately, the, like, 
Mike has said enough and he tells Truman to pretty much leave. You know, he gets he actually gets like aggressive with it, like fucking leave. Right. So Truman's like, all right, fuck it. You know, and Truman leaves. And it's pretty much at that point, you know, it sets the stage for, you know, we know everything about it. And and it and the scene is legitimate. I mean, legitimately. Jesus. Uh, talking is something that I do on a podcast. And yet somehow, somehow I still don't know how to do it. Uh, but, you know, um, the scene with Mike is punctuated by uh, him yelling at Truman and Truman leaving. And then we go back to the nephew in the dungeon and you think that he's going to escape because he's like crawling up to sort of like the staircase. But then we hear uh, footsteps uh, coming and he starts to freak out. And then, yeah, it's Reigns. Reigns has caught him trying to escape and he grabs him and drags him back and it's very it's a very it's a reveal moment it's pretty cool too because it's like it's like it reminds you of the moment in texas chainsaw massacre when leatherface grabs the the girl and then like slams the door behind him well, it's kind of like that but he grabs the nephew and drags him and as he's dragging him away it's re- it reveals that his legs have been chopped off um so he's got like stubs and he's drags him behind this door and shuts the door it's a very like memorable moment um it's pretty cool the way the way the way they set it up too, um, and then we get a scene. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because I'm literally beat by beat. Like I said, I wouldn't. I'm trying to sum this up, people. I'm trying to sum this up. Uh, then we see uh, another scene with uh, Truman back at home with his girlfriend Nikki, and she's she's working on that painting still, and they kind of hug and embrace, and then like Mike has a, a, a what I would call a reoccurring dream sequence or flashback where it's like a, it's almost like a uh, foreshadowing right like where he's like dreaming about himself what's going to happen to himself basically he's it, but it's in like black and white and he's like walking through the hotel that we uh saw in the beginning of the movie where the where the standoff shootout took place and he's like walking through the tail he's he's bloody and he's going in an elevator and it all comes, it, it all basically will pay itself off in, in the end, ultimately, um, because the final showdown will take place there. Um, but Mike is sort of, uh, you know, not Mike. Wow. Losing, losing track of my own characters. Um, Truman, not Mike. Truman, after he has this dream, then we see him like watching that footage of uh, Reigns uh, that he left for Jimmy of him, you know, the kidnapping footage that they watched where he goes into the room and kills everybody and then drags out his nephew. Um, and as he's watching, as Truman is watching the footage alone, uh, he watches as Rain walks into the frame and Rain Rains looks over his shoulder and he pauses it and then he looks at his face and he can see the mask with goggles. And it's the first moment where he realizes, oh shit, that's the that's the guy I fought that I thought I killed in the beginning. At this point, he hadn't known and hadn't realized that that was the same person. So this sets things into motion. Um, he asks Pat to find out how many bodies uh, the police found at the hotel because Pat has some sort of uh, in at the department because um, he wants to know like if this guy's still alive. And when He's at a bar, I think it's a, it's a scene that like directly follows uh, the scene of him watching the video 
um, in, in, in realizing that that's the guy on screen is Reigns, the guy from the beginning that he fought. Um, he's at a bar. Pat comes with some other henchmen, and he tells him, you know, like, there was only, I forget how many bodies. And he's like, wait a minute, so the guy, the guy's alive? Like, he thought he was, again, it's all new information. And at the same time as that happens, he gets a call from Ash. And then Ash tells him that she was able to find something. Um, and she finds, like, two, uh, two locations, like a hotel room, like two places or something like that, based on the fact that she uses uh, his name, the Claude Rains alias. Uh, she finds out that, like, Claude Rains are Rains. Um, she makes this connection that like someone booked or has a some sort of account that's under the name of the character, not not the actor. Claude Rains is the actor, but the character name that Claude Rains plays, who is the in the Invisible Man movie, something like that, right? Some some kind of goofy kind of like connection that she makes, and she tells him the address of this place over the phone and immediately you know um he gives it to pat and the henchman and he's like yo we gotta go we gotta go here we gotta go we gotta go look now and she also like has found some sort of strange like uh manifesto um that she's uncovered uh and it's a bunch of like weird like i think i think it's like it says something like if god uses suffering to refine us all then why blame the devil at all uh, and then it's just a bunch of like, it looks like a fucking religious psychos manifesto or something. And she like reads it to, to, uh, to, she reads it to, uh, Truman over the phone. Um, and then this, but while she's doing that, um, her screen, something appears on her screen and she's getting like a live feed video of, uh, not only because she has cameras, I guess, on the on the outsides of... It's already established that she has cameras to see who's at the door out front. And then she has a camera at the stairwell inside the building that she lives at. And the cameras pop up. But then there's another camera feed, and it's the top of her head. And it slowly, like, zooms out to show her sitting at her desk. And, of course, she freaks out. She's still on the phone with Truman at the same time. She's like, oh, shit, he's got cameras in here. He's coming for me. Truman jumps up. He's like, oh, shit. You know, he goes, he tells Pat and them, obviously go to those addresses to find this guy, but like, I need to go now. Um, so he's racing to find Ash, you know, when Ash ends up, you know, grabbing a gun and Reigns and her, you know, a whole uh, chase ensues inside and Reigns is attacking her. Um, and of course, by the time Truman gets there, it's too late. Um, she's gone, uh, but he's left a message for uh for Truman uh Reigns has it's a, it's 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 literally the first time we hear a voice it's like a it's a voice that has been masked digitally and he's talking to Reigns and speaking cryptically um it's literally I've already played what he says to him uh, at the beginning of his episode um and it has some like weird black and white footage of him like pulling the legs off of a bug and yeah, it's, 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 and it shows a picture of, not a picture, it shows actual footage of, uh, Ash dead and like her body, it, he, he's painted her body, which we don't know why he's painted her body yet. Um, as he's watching this, he gets a call from Pat. Pat tells him that the two other henchmen have seen Reigns, who they assume is Reigns, go inside. They were, they were staked out at the, one of the addresses that uh 
Ash gave Truman that he gave to them. And they said that, like, Pat says to Truman, like, that they seen that they seen the motherfucker go inside, right? So Truman's like, all right, cool, well, I'll meet you there, but I have to make a stop first, right? So he stops to talk to Tim again. And basically, he tells Tim, can you go? I need you to go get Nikki from her job and take her away. And the whole scene, you know, Tim is resistant, you know, movie shit, right? He doesn't want to do it, but he convinces him. He says, fuck it, I'll go. And, they, and even, uh, I think, cause, because at this point, like, after hearing Reigns' message, Truman is putting it together like, oh shit, like, this guy knows, this guy knows about me. And, like, he has some sort of uh, personal, not a vendetta necessarily, but he has, for some reason, focused on him, and he knows about him, and he knows about his life, and he's like, oh shit, this guy will hurt the people that are close to me, and he knows, you know, so he immediately is like, I need to get my girlfriend to safety, so of course he goes to Tim, Tim agrees to go get her from her job, he has to call, but I think uh, Truman even calls her at the job, and tells her, like, you know, what's going to happen, and she's, of course, she's like, what's going on, and he's just like, just listen to me, Tim's going to come get you, listen to him, he's going to keep you safe, all this setting the stage for like this ultimate, you know, showdown. Now, I won't really, you know, at this point, I'll wrap it up. I won't, I won't spoil sort of the last few moments of this movie. Um, because there is a, there is something that like, there is something that happens that is very seven head in a box moment. And me even saying that is spoiling it. And like I said, watch the movie first, but I won't, ex I won't, I won't explain exactly what happens. Uh, but I will say that it does have a moment. It does have a moment. And I, if you, if you put two and two together, you kind of understand exactly what, what's going to happen. Right. Um, but ultimately, um, ultimately it, it ends in a showdown, um, at that same hotel and it's kind of revealed that 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 not not overtly, but like by just watching the movie, it doesn't come out and say it, but it's kind of revealed that like, oh, like um, Reigns has been working at that hotel and has been at that hotel the whole time. He's like works there as, as like a maintenance man. That's why he's in the boiler room. So he's like, you know, the, he's been right under their noses this whole this kind of whole time. Um, at least that's the sense that I got from it. Um and ultimately, he's grooming, you know, he's grooming Truman to sort of like take over on whatever fucking mission that he feels he's been put on Earth to do, which is to be, I don't know, a fucking, a fucking psychopath. I don't know. Like, I mean, the, the logic here is a little bit silly, you know, but again, that being said, you know, um, it's a fun fucking, you know horror crime film you know what I mean and 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 yeah I've skipped over a lot of parts that I really do feel like um it'd be cool to talk about like I said um I will say this without kind of revealing the sort of moment that I feel like is a pretty cool poignant moment why am I, why am I tiptoeing around this like you know me I don't you know you know me like if you listen to this podcast you're aware that I don't really give a fuck about spoilers, but for some reason I'm like trying to like not spoil this moment. Well, I will say this. Tim is at the house back at Truman's house with Nikki trying to protect her. And obviously, uh, Reigns comes. Um, and when Reigns comes, uh, Reigns definitely, uh, kills 
Tim and he def and, and let's just say the way because I've already said it's a head in a box moment, right? So so for people that are familiar with Seven and the head in the box moment, that's you know you you know that he's going to Reigns is going to kill he's going to kill Truman's girlfriend. But the way that he does it and the way that it happens, uh, I think it was pretty effective. And that's what I won't, I'll, I'll spoil it, but I won't spoil it. It's just, when you see that moment, you'll be like, oh shit, because it is effective. It's a very effective moment. Um, and obviously Truman gets there. It's too late, you know, by the time he realizes what's happening. Um, and, you know, which that really sets the stage for him to go. And he goes to the address that he got from Ash and immediately kicks in the door and grabs the man that's there, knocks him out. And he's going to kill him. He's like, because that's the address that, you know, the name with the bank account that's, you know, that Ash was able to put two and two together. Right. But at the same time, we know that Reigns doesn't make a mistake. And you kind of realize like, like all of this is going according to his plan. You know, again, very John Doe seven ish. Right. He's like thinking like three or four steps ahead. Right. Thinking like this is all going to according to plan. Like Reigns is allowing this to happen. But, you know, he kicks in the door, sees this man, this white haired guy, looks like a dork, kind of a business guy. Um and he kidnaps him because and he doesn't he could kill him, but you get the sense like, no, he wants payback for what he's done. You know, all the people that he's killed, he's killed this woman, he's killed his friends or whatever. Right. So he takes him back to the fucking hotel and to, 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 to you know, to kill him or whatever. Um, but then when he gets him there, the guy says, you know, like, I'm I'm not who you think I am. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm a husband. Uh, he's begging for his life. I'm a husband. I have a I have a daughter. Um, at, but at this point, like. At this point in the story and at this point in the movie, Truman is completely transformed. Like he's dead inside now and he's being pushed, you know, he's being pushed the way that Reigns wants him to be pushed so he can become, you know, you know, who he wants to become or who, who Reigns wants him to become, to be specific. Uh, so, yeah, that happens. Um, and ultimately, you know, he get he takes him back to the hotel and Jimmy shows up with Pat and his henchmen, uh, and they're like, we got to kill this guy. Um, and at this point now, Truman has become convinced that the guy that he's kidnapped and he's taken back to the hotel probably isn't Reigns, right? Um, and he wants to let him go. He's like, this is like probably in his mind, you feel like this is the one the one, you know, thing I can do is help this guy get back home, you know, to his wife and kid. So it becomes this standoff between Jimmy and, you know, his, his and his henchmen with, with Truman. And it ends in a gunfight. Um, and, you know, ultimately what happens is everyone, everyone dies except for Jimmy, um, Truman and Pat. And Jimmy actually shoots Pat in the shoulder. Not, not not Pat. Jimmy actually shoots Truman in the shoulder, right? And you think that, you know, Jimmy's going to kill Truman, but Pat ends up shooting Jimmy, shooting their boss and killing them. And then you get you get the, the moment of like, oh, shit, like, yeah, like, like Pat and, and Truman are real friends. Like, he literally did this because, you know, he literally cares about Truman. But that moment's cut short when... The guy who 
Truman kidnapped, the, the family man guy who says he's not Rain, shoots Pat, and then this pisses off Truman, you know, and the man is immediately apologetic. He says he had a gun, he was going to shoot you. Um, and in fact, of course he had a gun, but he wasn't going to shoot him, right? But the guy plays dumb, and then he says, you know, please, please, you know, I have, I have a wife and kids. And the way he says kids makes... You, see, you can't tell if it's intentional or not, but it is intentional. Like, it's clearly intentional. Um, and it makes Truman stop and say, wait a minute, I thought you said you had a wife and a daughter. And then the man begins to immediately backpedal and say, I just, I, I, I thought I had a son. And then we watch the switch change where he takes his glasses off and he stops being the innocent guy and his face goes stone and he looks up and this is his great this actor does a great transformation where he just reveals that yes you know i am reigns and the final kind of fight between reigns and truman happens um and it's a pretty dope gritty like no frills hand-to-hand -hand combat kind of thing um which is a lot the way a lot of the violence is is uh is carried out in this movie. Um, again, it's pretty dope. It's pretty dope. Um, and then, like, ultimately what happens, there is no happy ending, you know, in this movie. Um, the dreams that Truman... I not only mentioned that he had one dream, but it's a reoccurring sort of throughout the movie. There's a, this sort of intercut of these sort of moments that are going to happen. Like I said, like a foreshadowing or premonition of sort of Truman's fate, but Truman's fate is fully realized and we get the sense that he's going to uh, take over um, for, for Reigns. You know, he, he, you know, there's a reason this movie's called The Prodigy. 